Truth Still Matters, episode number five. Come one, come all. Welcome to the Catholic Podcast. Truth Still Matters. The human person is made for truth. Despite this dictatorship of relativism, we breathe every day. This podcast exists in the stream of the new evangelization championed by Pope John Paul the Great and continued with Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and Pope Francis. We will have the opportunity to learn and reflect on the timeless truths revealed by God and deposited in the Catholic Church. If you're looking for apologetics or theology that can be applied to your life right now, you've found a new home. Stop drowning in the world of opinion and embrace yourselves for truth still matters. We are back once again, not by coincidence, not by some random act, but we are brought together by God's grace. See, God, before the beginning of time, knew that we would be sharing this moment. So you and I, by God's grace, let's take advantage of the grace and mercy that is offering us in this moment of number five, truth still matters. I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to be with me. Uh, I know that we all have busy lives, but the fact that you're listening to me, watching me right now, tells me something about you. It tells me that you're, you're hungry. You want more like me. I want more. God is calling you and I to experience more of him. And so let's not lose hope. Let's hang in there. Let's pray for one another that we might be encouraged and built up in the body of Christ so as to lift up his holy name and to encourage one another. I really want to encourage you to leave a review on the website at www.hubertsanders.com. And also, remember that this podcast is offered through iTunes. So if you're on iTunes, make sure that you subscribe to it. The subscription is free. And make sure that you leave a positive review. Because the more positive reviews are in iTunes, the more exposure this podcast will get. And the exposure is not just to build up numbers. The exposure is to get the gospel account, its fullness within the Catholic tradition out to the world, that the world might be converted. This episode will focus on one of the elements of the deposit of faith. As you can recall from last episode, we talked about the deposit of faith, that rich heritage of faith that Jesus himself left his church, that we might have a means to meet him, to encounter him, to experience his mercy. And that deposit of faith is made up of the scripture, of the tradition, and the Holy Spirit protecting the teaching office of the church, the magisterium. This vodcast, we will focus on the sacred scripture, specifically, how do we 
properly read or interpret the Bible. Sometimes we can be intimidated coming to the ancient text because we're not sure if we're reading it correctly or are we misreading it. I'm here to assure you that the Bible is the Heavenly Father's written love letter to us and there's no need to be afraid. As long as we keep principles in mind, the ones that we're going to cover in this podcast, and prayer, first and foremost, and we will be able to dive into the rich treasure of the sacred scripture. Hold on to your seats because we've got an exciting show coming up for you. Understanding the Bible. This is such an important topic that we need to get right into it right now. The sacred scripture or the Bible is the written inspired word of God. Inspired literally meaning God breathed. Sacred scripture is the soul of sacred theology, which means that the Bible should be on our hearts. We should have a desire of penetrating the meaning of the biblical text because the Bible is not just an ancient text to be left on some shelf. It is the Heavenly Father's love letter to you and I. So let's dig in. Are you with me? Now, in order to properly dig in, we have to have a few principles. And I like to lay those out right now. There are two senses that always have to be held together whenever we read the sacred scripture. The first sense is what's known as the literal sense. The literal sense is what did the author intend? Now, most of the time, when we use the term literal, what we tend to think is a literalistic interpretation of the Bible. For example, if I said it's raining cats and dogs, we would think that the literal sense of that statement would be animals are coming from the sky. But the church doesn't understand literal sense in that way. There's a distinction between the literal sense and the literalistic. The literal sense of my statement, it's raining cats and dogs, would be that it's raining hard. Why would the church consider that to be the literal sense? Because that is what I intended to communicate. It's whatever the author means, that is what the literal sense is of a particular text. And every verse has a literal sense, i.e. what the author wants to communicate a certain thing. If the author wants to communicate a historical narrative, a real event that happened in history, that is the literal sense. If the author wanted to communicate a symbolic story, a parable, that is a literal sense. It's whatever the human author had in mind because whatever the human author asserts, that is what is asserted by God. See, God inspired the authors, but he didn't inspire by dictation. You know, an author just sitting back and hearing the word of God audibly. 
No, he used their experience. He used their language. He used their patterns of thinking. He used their tradition that had been passed down. And he moved them to write what he wanted and nothing else. So we have to do some digging because they used a particular way, a language. They used a particular way of communicating uh, certain ideas known as idioms, ways of speaking that <clears throat> most of the time are foreign to us in the 21st century. We've got to do some digging. It's not enough just to have the text in front of us. Okay, just to give you a plain example, look at this text on the screen here. I was shot by the four men. Now, what is the literal sense of that? What do I intend to communicate? Well, if you just look at the text, you've got some options. Well, I'm, I might have been shot by a gun. Uh, four guys uh, ganged up on me and they shot me. That's one interpretation. I was shot by the four men. Another could be a doctor shot. Four gentlemen came in, and they all had shots, and they gave me a shot, a physical shot, you know, for medicine. That could be. Or I could be in a studio, and I was at a photo shoot, and I was shot by four uh, video photographers, and they were men. Or I was shot by the four men, not by four guys. I was really shot by Susie, but Susie shot me while I was standing by the four men. Which one is it? You take your pick. Well, how would you know? What would be your first uh, move to find out the proper interpretation when you would have to ask me, right? What was in my mind and heart when I said I was shot by the four men? And that's easy enough to do, but what if I'm dead? God forbid, but what if I'm dead? And you see that statement. How will you penetrate what I thought? See, that's the situation we're in today. The biblical human authors are dead. How do we penetrate their mind? What have you got to do? Well, first and foremost, we have to pray before this endeavor. And this prayer will lead us to uh, a proper mentality as we approach the text. It is the human word moved by the Spirit of God. And we have to deal with it on both levels. The human level deals with human language, a various culture that we have to penetrate in the 21st century. And we do that by exegesis. Exegesis literally in the Greek means to lead. We let the text lead us. We don't read a particular meaning that we think into the text. That's eisegesis. We're involved in exegesis, meaning we have to get in the mind of the human author. What did they intend? What kind of writing is this? Who is the author? Who are they writing to? Was there a particular historical event happening during, happening during this time period? We have to penetrate all of that. And literary genre is a very useful tool in identifying. What do we mean? Well, we are identifying the kind of writing. See, when we pick up the Bible, it looks like one book, doesn't it? It looks like one book, but it's a collection of books. It's a library. And I know you've been to a library. I've been to a library. And what happens when you walk into a library? You have different sections. You have the historical section. You have the reference section. You have the kids section. And when you go into those sections, there's a shift in our minds that happens automatically. What's that shift? 
a different way of reading that particular text comes to mind automatically when we're in a particular section in the library. But we don't have that advantage when we pick up the Bible. Everything looks the same, and we may have a tendency to read everything the same way because it looks the same. Psalms looks the same as Matthew, and that looks the same as, as Revelation. But if we keep this in mind that this is a collection of books, we will approach it with the right mindset. And that the first has to be, what kind of writing are we dealing with? What is the literary genre? Now here is a list of various forms that will help us in interpreting. We have the anthem, census, debate, so on and so forth. These are the library labels that we have to be aware of in order to properly read the Bible. Because whatever the human author is asserting, that's what God is asserting. Okay. This kind of approach to the Bible is known as the historical critical method. And it's very helpful because behind these, these books are various sources. And there's a tradition that has been passed down orally first and then eventually written. And these sources and when something was written can be very messy. But see, we don't have to worry because this is God's love letter to us. So even though it's a collection of many books, it's inspired by one loving Heavenly Father. And so it's really one book when you look at it from the divine point of view. And so we can have confidence uh, that we can properly interpret the written word of God. But we've got two elements to keep in tension or to keep in union. The, the, the literal sense, what did the human author intend to communicate? And that is what God intended. And we also have another sense. And that is the spiritual sense. The spiritual sense can never be left out of the picture. There's a tendency in modern day exegesis to leave it out of the picture. We uh, exalt this historical critical method to the neglect of the spiritual sense. But the Vatican II Council, specifically the Dei Verbum, the dogmatic constitution on the revelation, tells us that the historical critical method is very important and dissecting the literary forms and the ways of speech, the linguistics and the literary context is very important, but it's not enough. It's not enough just to leave the text in the past because this is the written word of God that has a destiny of communicating to you and I in the 21st century. In order to do that, we have to connect the spiritual sense with the literal. If we just uh, relegate our interpretation to the historical critical method, we leave the text in the past. And Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has warned against that. He's warned against that in his book, Jesus of Nazareth. He's warned, he's warned against that in several different texts. We have to have the literal in union with the spiritual because it's when we are in touch with the spiritual sense of the scripture. That is when uh, more avenues open to the proper interpretation of the Bible. And one of the key principles, there's three principles that really, that Vatican II lays out. And that is the canonical context, where we use the Bible to interpret itself. Remember, it's a collection of many books, but it is 
from the divine perspective, one book, because we have God moving every human author. And so when we read Genesis 3.15, and that's one of my favorite passages, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. When God announces right after the fall of Adam and Eve that he would put enmity between the devil and the woman. We see the woman referred to again in the gospel account. When Jesus performs his first miracle at the wedding feast of Cana, he refers to his mom as woman. When he's dying on the cross, he refers to his mom, guess what? As woman again. When he's handing over... Uh, Entrusting his mother to John. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And once again, in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, we see a woman being described. And the woman has, is giving birth to a male child who is to rule the nations with an iron rod. Who is that? We know that's Jesus. So the woman is Mary. So we use Revelation, we use the gospel accounts, and we go back to Genesis 3.15 and we find in the spiritual sense of the text, that woman from the very beginning of salvation history is Mary. And we see God saying he's going to put enmity or space between the devil and the woman. This is what the, this is what the Immaculate Conception is rooted in. We believe that Mary was born without original sin. Not because that's a specific cute Catholic doctrine, but because we are faithful to Genesis 3.15 and the spiritual interpretation that we get from the enmity between the woman and Satan. How do we come across that? How do we come to that? By the canonical context, the content in unity of the whole scripture. The analogy of faith is another principle to, to keep in mind. And what is that? That is reading the Bible right alongside the faith that we received through the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. We don't forget what we've, what we've learned in the community of faith when we read the Bible. And we read the Bible in communion with the living tradition of the church. Again, the Bible belongs to a family. And it only comes alive. It only is properly interpreted when it's in union with the family. Every verse, if we're open, can speak to you and I. St. Augustine tells us, that the Old and the New Testaments, which make up the written word of God, must always be held together. The New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old is revealed in the New. They both go together. And here are three divisions of the spiritual sense. You have the allegorical sense, which is what? That is finding Christ on every page of the Bible. This is the written word of God. But every page of the written word of God reflects the word of God, as the Gospel of John tells us. The second person of the Trinity is the word. Now, sure, you're not going to see Jesus's name on every page, especially in the Old Testament. But the second person of the Trinity is pointed towards in every page, if we have the eyes open to see. We have the moral sense. The moral sense of the scripture is this. What does this text say to me tonight? What is this text saying to me right now? The promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 are not just the promises to an old man back in the day. His promises are to sustain you and I. 
They are to give us confidence that God is faithful to his promises. And he doesn't just promise something. He swears an oath that he's going to be there. He loves you and I that much. He did it for Abraham. And through Jesus, Abraham is our father in faith. And now we can relate to him and the promises that he's given to him today through the moral sense of the scripture. And now we have the anagogical, which means what? This is the love letter. Have you heard the acronym for Bible? Basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> the anagogical sense refers to how does a particular text prepare me for my final end, where I stand before God face to face, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the anagogical sense. This spiritual sense of the scripture is what God intends. Most of the time, this spiritual sense is not in the mind of the human author. And that's fine. This is ultimately God's word. The literal sense is what the human author intended and God. But the spiritual sense is most of the time just what God intended. And he feeds you and I. Let's not run away from the sacred scripture. Let's not uh, hide our light under, under a bushel. But let's dive into this written word that we might respond to what God is calling you and I to do. Because we can only uh, be equipped if we know the weapons that he's left us. And this is a weapon, not a weapon of mass destruction, but a weapon of love to unite you and I. Because that is the strongest force that we've ever encountered, that the world has ever known. Take care and may God bless you all the days of your life. Amen. Blessed and fresh to death, don't rock it like most, but we rock it the best. Take the message like a rocket to the chest, and all you're left with is a beautiful mess. Gone for a minute, now I'm back up in it. Upgrade the plan, so I spit unlimited spell. Check the text if you only got a minute. Make you wanna stay longer than late fees omitted. And admit it, don't mention it. Check if you're still listening. Kung Fu Jesus, time to kick it with the Christian kid. I've graced the man, made blends in like chameleon. Band-aid the fan base till it reach a billion.